0: Good morning. Love our worship team here at New Hope. They always do such a great job. Yeah. Yeah. That's for you. Uh, a couple details while you're turning in your Bible to John chapter 1, if you'd go ahead and do that. We're going to spend most of our time in John chapter 1 if you've brought a Bible with you. If not, there's free Bibles in the back. You can get one when you leave this morning, and we want you to have a copy of God's Word. They're on the table back there, but there's Bibles in the rack around you. You can follow along that way, or you can watch on the screen, and you'll see verses pop up. But while you're turning there, a couple details. Next weekend with Christmas Eve, we could really use some help in the way of individuals that might be willing to help park cars or greet individuals as they come in or or serving in in various ways. There's always a large crowd on Christmas Eve, like Easter. Um, You have a lot of individuals that come to church that might not normally come. And last year, upwards of 1,000 people at Christmas Eve service. And it's hard, obviously, to get that many people into a building of this size. So if you're willing to help us uh, serve in some way, that would be wonderful for you to consider ways that you might do that. Just remember, Jesus went to the cross for you. No pressure. (laughs) Sit here in your comfort. But um, honestly, there's a clipboard in the back. You can put your name on there and uh, just indicate some ways that you might be able to help plug in. One other detail is as you're coming into the end of the year, I know many people think of of end-of-the-year giving, and I'm just encouraging you to consider you new hope in your end-of-the-year giving. With um, all that takes place from September to December, there's a lot of expenses, a lot of money that goes out the door because of all the things that we do in the first four months of our fiscal year. Our fiscal year runs from September to September. We're kind of like on an academic calendar. And so we're in the first four months of our fiscal year, And we could really use some help making up some of the money that has been used. So if you're considering year-end gifting, you want to do that before December 31st. So it's it's postmarked that way on the way that you might mail it in. All right. I'm going to go with you into John 1. And last week we talked a lot about the the brilliance of our light, who we are in this world. And I, I talked to you last week about the reality that I would bring application to it this week. We kind of left it hanging last week in terms of what does that look like for me to be a light in this world. And that's why I want to take you back into John 1 this morning so we can talk about that issue. But before we do, would you pray with me together? Let's invite God to teach us. Father, I'm grateful for those who are in this auditorium right now, those who are streaming online, who can't be here but want to be part of what's going on. And collectively, Father, we would... Say with um, unified voices, we've taken this time out of our schedule to be here for a purpose. And our purpose is we want to encounter you. Every one of us come with that sense, that desire. We want to know more about who we are to you. And we want to know more about who you are to us and your expectations of us. We We just want to know. Some of us come in this morning with hurt hearts you know, with relational difficulties, others with physical difficulties. And we ask that you would speak to us in the midst of the struggles that we're going through. But many of us, Father, find ourselves just living day to day, today to day without a sense of purpose. And we really want you to show us what our purpose is and what you built us for and why you placed us on this planet at this place in time. I ask that you would do that this morning you would speak powerfully through your word. Let your word be alive and active, and we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. We know that according to the Bible that Jesus' arrival on this planet was announced by an explosion of brilliant light. The angels saw it. The angels saw the brilliant light that was encompassing them. were told it was the Shekinah glory of God that they were reflecting. And in turn, the shepherds saw it. But also the wise men, they saw a brilliant light in the sky. Most theologians thinking of that star think it was probably the Shekinah glory of God, not an actual star but a moving light. We'll talk more about that next week. So Jesus is always associated with light. And then as an adult, you're finding Him making that very declaration. Look with me up on the screen at John 8.12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. We talked about this a lot last week, but here's just to catch you up so you don't feel like you walked into the middle of a movie if you weren't here. What we understand that verse to say is that Jesus is the exclusive source of light. And when the Bible talks about light, it's talking about truth. So Jesus is the exclusive source of truth. Truth is found in Him outside of Jesus. There is no other source of truth available. So that statement is very, very clear. Now if He's the source of truth, it means we need to really understand what He's saying when He says, whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness. Because He's made that very, very clear, and I'm asking you to ask yourself this question right now. Is this Me? Am I one who's identified as a follower of Jesus? Do other people look at me and think of me that way? Maybe you would just ask yourself internally right now. Am I one who follows Jesus? Am I identified that way to the people I know, my friends, my neighbors, the people I work with, the people I go to school with? Do they think of me that way? According to Scripture, if you have accepted and received Jesus as your Savior, He's done something for you. He's extended grace to you for sure, but in turn of, in response to you believing, He's placed some life within you. But it's also implying that those who do not believe are still in darkness. And that may be your friends, that may be your co workers, that may be your family members. That may be people you do coffee with, that you hang out with in your neighborhood. They don't yet believe that Jesus is the source of life. So we've got these two opposing sides here. There's those of you who follow. You're in the light according to Scripture. You're not in darkness. And there are those who are perhaps your friends and your family members who are in darkness because they don't believe. And I'm challenging you like I was last week to let the massiveness of these two truths overwhelm you this morning as you work through these passages. The weight of the reality of what God is declaring here, he's drawing a line in the sand. He says, there's those who do believe and those who don't. And those who do are in light and those who don't are in darkness. In order to move forward, we need to do a bit of a 30,000-foot view this morning, so I'm just going to ask you to go up into the stratosphere with me, and then let's just do a worldview, a biblical worldview. Look with me on the screen at John 1:4, and this is why I asked you to go to John, John chapter 1. John 1:4 says, "...in him was life, and the life was the light of men." See, life and light are synonymous. So let's just bear down on those four words, "...in him was life." To say Jesus is life is the most pure statement about the nature of God that you can possibly make. In the beginning, before anything else existed, there's life. In him was life. There's already life because it comes from God. Let me give you an example of that. Genesis chapter 2, then the Lord God formed manna from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Before that, an inanimate being. You can't give away what you don't have, so God can give away life because life is in Him. We, as His creation, receive life from outside ourselves. We can't create life, only God can do that. He gave us the ability to procreate, but we can't create. We can't put life into something, and the simplest way to know that is once it goes away, you can't put it back. Yes, we have learned through technology and through scientific research how to resuscitate a heart, how to breathe air back into a lungs, and we can give people life again for a period of maybe days, weeks, months, maybe even years to resuscitate. But ultimately, that life's going to be gone, and you can't put it back. Why? Because we're not the Creator. Life originates with Him. It all begins with God. So creation receives life from outside itself. Life and light are synonymous, and life originates with him. That's why Jesus could surrender his spirit on the cross. I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about that, but that's the very last miracle that Jesus did. He's on the cross, and he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And the Bible says he breathed his last. He willingly gave up his life. No man takes my soul from me, but I give it willingly. So the last miracle is because he's God, he can give up life and he can put life in because life originates with him. And that's a match for Scripture, John 1, 3. Just go back up one verse in your Bible. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Now remember, we're still at the 30,000-foot view. We haven't come back down to planet Earth here yet, so just hear this. Life gives rise to matter. Physical matter does not give rise to life. So according to the Bible, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God did everything. And so when you go to John 1.1, it makes a, a, a perfect match for that when it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. And it goes on to say, in Him, speaking of Jesus, was life. Remember this 30,000-foot view. There's huge implications for that reality that in him is life. And here's the implication. The one who possesses life can impart life to me. And so when the Bible says, I'm dead in my trespasses and sins, and you are too, that means something really huge to me. That I'm dead, and God can resuscitate because He can put life where there was no life, and I've got too much internal damage, and you can't resuscitate me, and I can't resuscitate you, but God can because He's the source of life, and the source of life brings life to us who are dead in our trespasses and sins. So that's a match for 1 John 5.11. You'll see it on the screen. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So if you have him, you have life, you reject him, you reject life. I know right now you're thinking, I know this stuff, Mark. This is, this is 101. This is simple. You're right. This is like a Christmas devotional. We'll, just, we'll treat it that way. It's, it's New Hope light this morning, okay? It's not like the deep, meaty things we typically go into, But it's so important for us to be rooted, especially with this week that's in front of us, to be reminded of who we are in God and what he's called us to. And so this one who is life, life produces something, and in his life he has produced specifically an element that we can identify. Look with me on the screen at John 1-4 again. We started with this verse. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now you and I, we can perceive things right now physically in this room. We can perceive the effects of light. Physically I can see substance. I see you, you see me, you see this podium, you see carpet. We see things through our human eye because light reflects all of, all from objects, it, it reflects. We can only see what light reflects. I don't actually see all the light waves, you can't either. They're not visible to our eye. I see what the light illuminates, and it illuminates things that reflect back to my eyes. The light makes things visible to my eye. And the effect of that light, God declared to be good. Remember the first day of creation? God said he created light, and the light was good. Now, that's one light that God declared, but there's another form of light that God declared, and he came not only to declare it, but to impart it. And it's called the light of truth. And that's why you find Jesus in John 8 saying, I'm the light of the world. So he's declaring a different form of light there. And that leads you and I back down to planet Earth, no longer at a 30,000-foot view. But now we're talking about the function of believers. The things that he expects you and I to do as a result of having his life placed within us. So go back to John 8, 12 again. He said, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Uh, if you're new to New Hope, we put notes in your bulletins, and you can pull those notes out because there's some words in there that might guide you, but what you'll find is there's a couple of Greek words in there, and you'll see them on the screen as well. You get two Greek words this morning, and here's the first one, and, and it's this word follow. What did Jesus mean when he's talking about following? The pronunciation is akalatheo, but that's not as significant to you as the meaning behind it. Many times when we think of following someone, we're thinking of being behind them. That's not the meaning here. The meaning is to be walking alongside with. So in my mind, when I'm thinking of this particular word, I'm thinking of a husband and wife in a healthy relationship, a healthy marriage relationship. It's not the only meaning of it, but it's just what pops into my mind, meaning, In a healthy relationship, a husband and wife who are raising children are of the same mind. So Lori and I, when we're raising our children, when there was times we had to discipline them or times when we rewarded them, we would talk together because we were of the same mind of how we would carry out the action. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Those who follow me, those who are of the same mind as me, those who are walking alongside me, what we're talking about here is a really deliberate action. It's an intentionality here because you don't walk with somebody by accident. You don't marry them by accident. It's an intentional action. So we're talking about a specific function here that takes place as a result of being one who follows, who's made the decision to walk alongside. So because we have the light of life that's been placed in us, we are told by Jesus that now, according to Matthew 5.14, You are the light of the world. Man, is that a weight? Does that not feel like a weight, church? Like, wow, I have to wear a huge responsibility. This word, are, you should circle it if you have your own Bible open and maybe write this next to it. Jesus is making a statement here of fact. This is not a command from Jesus. He's making a statement of truth. This is who you are. He's stating the reality that if you're a Christian, you're you're a light follower, you're a light emanator, doing both at the same time. You're reflecting the light that He puts on you. So light represents what Christians are. So the very fact that you've decided, I'm a follower, I'm not a person who's in darkness, the very fact that we belong to Jesus makes us His light. The question for us to ask ourselves is this, how effective am I at that? How am I doing with that responsibility? So what you find in that verse is Jesus is reducing the function to just one single word. And here's the word, influence. You have influence over the people in your neighborhood, over the people that you work with, the people in your family, your influencer. For better or worse, your function as light affects how others see God. Because God says you're a source of light. I can illustrate this for you very simply by asking you mentally to go back with me to about 1900. Woodrow Wilson became the 28th president of the United States in 1913. Fortunately, he was a really good diary keeper. He journaled a lot. And I have an excerpt from his diary with me this morning that I want to share with you. And here's the background for it. Woodrow Wilson, before he became president in 1913, was in Chicago, and he went into a barber shop, sat down in the chair and waited for his turn, and while he was there, something remarkable happened. Let me read this paragraph for you. I was sitting in a barber chair when I became aware that a powerful personality had entered the room. A man had come quietly in upon the same errand as myself to have his hair cut and sat in the chair next to me. Every word the man uttered showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him. And before I got through with what was being done to me, I was aware that I had attended an evangelistic service because D.L. Moody was sitting in that chair. I purposely lingered in the room after he left and noted the singular effect that his visit had brought upon on the barbershop. They spoke in soft undertones. They did not know his name but they knew something had elevated their thoughts, and I felt that I had left that place as I should have left a place of worship. Influencer, you are the light of the world. And how you emanate affects how people view God. Influencer, when Jesus says, you're my followers, you're no longer going to walk in darkness. So the Bible consistently speaks of our roles as influencers. I want to show you an example of this. Even in Jesus' prayer life, watch how he's praying to the Father. John 17, 15, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Why would he pray it that way? Because we'd be thinking like, man, Jesus, don't pray that. We want to be in eternity We want perfection. But Jesus says, no, my people are influencers. I don't want you to take them out of the world, Father. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to protect them from the one who will take away or block their light, the one who can bring damage to them. So protect them from that one. Paul went another step further and became even more graphic when he started talking about the fact that you and I actually emanate a a fragrance about us. Did you know that you actually have a stink about you? Let me show you what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. So what do you smell like this morning? Maybe ask somebody trusted in your world whom you value their opinion. Say, do I smell? What do I smell like? Can you see Jesus in me? Do I do that? Your life with Jesus has profound purpose. I don't know if you came in here this morning feeling purposeless, but God says you've got incredible purpose. You have a mandate to influence. So God's condition for having his light is that we follow him. So what's a follower going to look like? What's a follower going to do? A follower is going to be moving closer and closer to the word of God. A follower is going to be moving more and more towards fellowship with other believers. A follower is going to be moving more and more towards worship. A follower is going to be moving deeper and deeper into prayer. We state it that way very specifically because that's the opposite of someone who doesn't follow. We can measure these things in ourselves. Is this true of me? Because those who are in the darkness do exactly the opposite thing. Why? Because the darkness is exposed by the light. And doesn't want to come out into the light. Evil hates light. Look with me on the screen at John 3.20. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. So according to the Bible, at salvation, God placed eternal life in you. And we said life and light are synonymous. So Jesus promised that as his followers, you and I are going to radiate light. The two cannot be separated They're synonymous. They work together. And this is a really important component for you to remember this week, regardless of what you did last week, you're coming into a week in which you have a brand new beginning, a brand new start. Clean slate. How are you going to reflect the light if you belong to Jesus? This is a really important component even when you don't feel all that bright. Perhaps even when you stumble and you think, man, the things that I did yesterday even... I've really dimmed my light. I don't feel like I'm all that bright, so I'm asking this question. How is your light shining these days? Are you shining so bright that you're drawing people to, king, to the king? you drawing people closer and closer to Christ? Or is your ornament a bit tarnished? Maybe it's just a, a little bit dimmer these days. Something is working against you, and it feels like things are dark. drive the point home, yet Jesus says, we're supposed to be the light, and the light is supposed to be so brilliant that it would cause other people to see Jesus. Some of you sitting close to me might want to shield your eyes for this. That's pretty bright. My wife told me to use a candle. No, I chose a 350-watt LED bulb. Because a candle's kind of wimpy. This is the brilliance that Jesus is talking about. And I know that's hurting your eyes for a few that are especially close to it, but I'll, I'll shut it off in a minute once the point is driven home. We can do things according to Scripture that obscure the light. That's when the complications really come in along and they begin to kick in. And we personally determine, based on the things that we do in the midst of our daily activities, whether or not we're going to shine bright or we're going to obscure that light. So what does gossip do to you? And what about the reality of maybe when we tell a lie, it keeps getting darker, maybe a, a bitter tongue, and we said things to somebody that we should not have said? It doesn't take long to get the visible image in our mind that Jesus was driving towards when he said, nobody takes a light like that and puts it under a basket, but they put it up on a lampstand so that all the world will see. So I'm asking you, how's your light shining these days? Because Jesus said, this light, it's going to be so bright that you can take it into the darkness and the darkness can over, be overwhelmed by a single light. So as you and I on the positive side, as we do things that reflect the work of God in our life, the change that Jesus has brought, we should get brighter and brighter and brighter. And pretty soon you can begin to see the things that are around you because the light is reflecting off the objects. And what's visible is exactly what God wants to be seen. But the things that we do, they kind of hurt, and they darken the light. That's why I say there's complications that come along with the daily choices that we make, the things that we chose to do this last week. But gratefully, we serve a God of grace and a God of mercy, and He forgives us, and He gives us brand new beginnings. Amen, New Hope? That's good of our God. So we started with a biblical worldview from 30,000 feet. Let me end with a biblical worldview. And this is not a news flash to you. I know you know this information, but it's really important to be reminded of considering the week that you're headed into and what God has called you to be. Things around us, the world that we live in, it continues to accumulate a deeper and deeper darkness. And I can say that emphatically it's getting worse because the world is devoid of the light. So year after year, evil increases. I'll give you a prime example of this. I read this week of a college professor who was talking to his students who were assembled in the classroom that he had a theory, it was a a philosophy class, he had a theory as to why marriage is on the decline, not just in the United States but around the world. Globally, the institution of marriage is on the decline. So this college professor said that his theory is and the reason that he believes that is to be the case is because that was something that man needed when he was of a lower evolutionary scale. And because man has evolved into a greater being, a wiser being, a much more morally conscious being, no longer is the institution of marriage needed. And so just as man dropped his tail millions of years ago, according to this professor, the institution of marriage is dropping off because man is evolving upward. Anyone who knows history, even the past 100 years, would say that man is not evolving upwards. Anybody who says man is evolving upwards is deceived. They're not watching what's going on around them. Absolutely, we have increased knowledge. We've increased in our knowledge of science. We've increased in our knowledge of medicine. We have increased in the world of technology to an astounding degree. It is absolutely mind-boggling, but we have not changed our basic nature. And the simplest way to define that is you only have to ask this question. Is society in 2017 better than it was 15 years ago? Or do you evaluate society to be diminishing? And it seems like it's spiraling downward. And I'm not talking only about in the United States. So while knowledge has increased, morals have progressively decreased. It might surprise you to learn that Philosophy professors and leaders of religion and military leaders and world business leaders in 1897 were looking forward to the century ahead of them, the 1900s, and they believed that that would be the golden era of man, that the accomplishments were so great that war would be eradicated, that disease would be just a distant memory, that ignorance among the people, it would be gone. And that man had achieved a status in which peace and brotherhood would reign supreme across the planet. They believe that because of the accomplishments. Well, accomplishments have increased, but peace of mind has diminished. We see it to an astounding degree. So instead of improving moral quality, accomplishments have actually provided ways to promote depravity faster. See, man's just invented new ways to corrupt our world at a quicker pace, and so we can see it around us. But Jesus says, that's not who you are, you're not part of that, because we believe, because we're followers of him, he's changed us and we're no longer part of that world of darkness. He says, you've got your light shining. Look with me on the screen at Colossians 1.13. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son." Now by nature, the light that we have, it's got to be visible in order to illuminate anything. So Scripture says it very clearly in Ephesians 5.8, you were formerly darkness, that's not who you are now, but you are the light of the Lord, walk as children of the light. By definition, an influencer has to be different from that which it influences. My mentor is Dr. Charles Lake, and he's about 17, 18 years older than me. He's been my mentor since the mid-1990s. He pastored a church in southern Indiana in Indianapolis, and now he's retired. He's in Florida. We stay in contact with each other, and Charles still can speak into my life because he's that much further down the trail. He's been there and experienced things that I have not. An influencer by its very nature has to be different from the thing which it influences. You and I, we cannot influence the world when we're of the world. That's what Jesus is telling us here. We can't give light when we revert to the ways of darkness. So in contrast, to end this, I want you to see the way that Jesus made the full statement when he said, you are the light of the world. Look with me up on the screen at Matthew 5.14. You are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Your last Greek word that's in your notes, and this is where we're going to end this morning, is this word, kalos. What is Jesus talking about when he says, your good works? Because our minds instantly go to doing things like serving at the rescue mission or giving sweaters to people who need sweaters or coats to people who need coats in the wintertime. We go to those kind of good works, and Jesus, as you find this word kalos, you find He's not so much talking about quality, He's talking about something else here. He's talking about the beauty of your appearance So this particular word, kalos, it is talking about something that's beautiful. Now, what is in you? What could possibly be in you that could be so beautiful that the world can see it? And I've asked this question a lot at New Hope, especially in this last year as we've been working through the book of Romans. I'm asking you right now, has Jesus changed you to the degree that you're different today than you were a year ago? different than you were five years ago? Are you moving closer and closer to God through prayer, through worship, through study of His Word? How are you reflecting that light? See, to see the good in us, the good works that Jesus is talking about, is to be talking about putting His amazing grace on display. I'm learning to control my tongue. I'm learning to love better. Then I'm learning to be a better encourager. This is the kind of things that Jesus is talking about. So, to let our light shine allows people to see the beauty that Jesus has worked in us. That's why Jesus says, Let your light shine, because it's not something that you created, it's something that He placed in you. It's God working through you to the degree that somebody could actually say, I see Jesus in you. Man, are you bright! D.L. Moody, sitting in a barber chair, affects everybody just in a conversation getting his hair cut to the point where they think that they've attended a worship service and you're thinking, I'm not a preacher like D.L. Moody. Well, you don't have to be. It's just a conversation to the degree that he cared about people who were in that room. Now, according to the last verse we just read in Matthew chapter 5, we're supposed to let our light shine for a reason to the degree that our light is not to bring Attraction to us, but to glorify our Father who's in heaven. So when we cause people to be attracted to us rather than to God, we can be sure they're not seeing His light. They're seeing us. They're seeing our ego on display. Our resolve has to be that others are going to see God, that they will glorify the Father. So our beauty, our attractiveness is to magnify the grace of God that's in your life. The power of God on display and the things that He's done. Is serving at the rescue mission a good thing? Absolutely. Is giving away winter coats a good thing? Absolutely. But think of the bigger picture that Jesus is describing here. Everything that we do is to cause other people to be drawn to the true source of life. So here's a, in a kind of a nutshell what we've covered. Life brings light. Those who are without Jesus they're still in blackness and if they're to see they've got to have life and the life and the light are synonymous so that one who has eternal life came and made a declaration in John ten ten. he said I came this is the reason I came that they may have life and have it what church and have it abundantly. That is an amazing statement from our God. See, I'm convinced that what you believe about God determines what you do about this very issue. And some of us may be feeling like, hey, I need a restart because last week wasn't so great. That's okay. You serve a God of grace, right? You serve a God of mercy. He wants your light to shine. It doesn't want screens over the lens. So what we do about that determines what we believe about God. Is He gracious or not? Absolutely, He is. But let's pray that way that God would make us a bright light this week. Would you join me in that? Father, I thank You for the worship that we've enjoyed, and I thank You for the study of Your Word that we've enjoyed. And all these things stimulate our brain, and cause us to question what we're doing with this thing that we've claimed to belong to But if that's all we leave with, Father, it'll fall short that we've just had our brain stimulated. We pray for what you desire. We pray for heart change. So that we're deliberate about trying to stop those bitter words from coming out of our mouth. And from the potential of obscuring our light. And all those other things that we might do to make us dimmer. Father, we want to put you on display. We pray that way right now, that you would give us the capacity through the Holy Spirit who works in us to magnify you because you're worthy. You're worthy of all the glory we can bring your direction. Thank you for the change that you've made in us, Father. Make it evident to the people we interact with. We pray for this in Jesus' magnificent name. And all God's people said, amen. Have a great week, New Hope.